Hello and welcome back to the Joint Venture Podcast, Inspiration Insights. My name is Oliver and I'm very pleased to introduce a special episode today. This week we are introducing a special segment where we will be talking about Inspiration's upcoming Energy Transition Awards. We have to tell us more about these awards, Viola Cal, Inspiration's Head of Content. Hi Oliver, thanks for having me. And just for this episode we have a very special guest with us, winner of Inspiration's Remember the Name Award at last year's award ceremony, we have Jenna Boyle. Thanks, Oliver. Great to be here. For listeners who aren't aware, Jenna, could you give us a brief introduction? Yeah, thanks, Oliver. Um, Yeah, so I'm Jenna. Um, I currently head up the UK and European business for Gridcog, um, based here in London. Um, And last time um, I caught up with the Inspiration team was at the awards last year, where I was um, at that point in time heading up the commercial function at Lime Jump. And in the rest of the episode, I'll give you a bit of an overview of what we're up to at Gridcog. Looking forward to that. We'll go into much more detail. But first, we're going to start by giving... Uh, you are wonderful listeners, an overview of the awards this year, and the whole effort has been headed up by Viola. Viola, thanks for coming on and telling us about this. Why don't you start by just uh, explaining some of the rationale behind the awards this year? Yes, Oliver, thanks. Very happy to. And um, yeah, so very exciting um, addition this year. Um, first of its kind at Inspiratia. They are the Europe Energy Transition Awards. Um, so a bit different from the edition we had last year in that um, we decided to focus it on Europe. So European deals only, European focused companies only. Um, but most importantly, um, it's an energy transition specific award. Um and, and what we mean by that um, is we've um, changed the categories to reflect um, the energy transition focus and to kind of um, align it with the effort that we've been conducting across the business, really, um, and in repositioning the editorial strategy and the content strategy across the company um, to only focus um, on the energy transition. And it's an interesting one because I've, I've just come back from, from Paris Infra Week and Natix's Infra Day last week and I've been talking about this uh, new thing and, and you could argue, you know, everyone is kind of focusing on energy transition these days and yes, fair enough, um, everyone is. But I feel like what we want to do as a company is to become the energy transition specialist and because of that, we, at content level and at awards level, we only focus on energy transition related transactions and and projects only and and the categories of these awards really reflect that what we mean by that is obviously traditional renewables um but also the all the new technologies that contribute to the transition um so energy storage hydrogen ev charging um energy efficiency more broadly so uh, just to give you a bit of an idea of what the categories are, I'll quickly run through them. So we have Best Energy Transition Fund Manager, Best Battery Storage Investor, Best Hydrogen Investor, Best EV Charging Investor. And then the, the interesting bit where we split up the categories um, was with, with the advisor categories where we have Best Lender Renewables versus be- Best Lender New Technologies. As that's where the, the, the difference between the two is really uh, highlighted. So traditional renewables obviously is wind, solar, and then the new technologies are all the other ones that we've touched um, upon. So why have we introduced this uh, difference between the companies and the uh, deals? Uh, yes, yeah, so I think the, the split was there last year as well. But basically, the way it works, we have what we call um, 
Well, I think technically institution awards and then we have the deal awards. So in the institution categories, you have your best energy transition fund manager. So the actual company um, working across a number of different deals in throughout the judging period. Um, and then we have battery storage investor, best hydrogen investor. And, and whereas on the... Um, on the deal side of things, we have we focus on a specific deal, on a specific um, transaction. So, in that one, we have the outstanding greenfield deal, outstanding M and A deal, outstanding PPA, new markets, and innovative financial structure deal of the year. And they are different in that um, the judging process is also different for them. So, the institution awards, where you know we came up with a short list internally from submissions and then we put the shortlist to an external judging panel of industry experts whereas for the deal awards was everything was done internally so we went through the submissions came up with a shortlist and then uh, the content team sat down and went through the shortlist and voted um, and and we came up uh, with winners for that one. So the deal awards have a much more uh, strong focus on the the data and the classifications of each deal, whereas with the institutional awards, you've got to win around other market industry experts and notable people. So you've also got to have a good reputation in the market uh, among your peers. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I'd, I'd like to thank uh, SNBC for their support as sponsors uh, for, for these um, awards edition. And um, and in particular, Caroline Smith-Litton, who was one of the judges on the panel. Um, and it was a pretty big judging panel that we managed to get, to get together. And I'd like to thank them all um, on this episode. So we had um, Natasha Luther-Jones uh, from the LA Pipe, Andrew Morris from uh, UBS Asset Management, uh, Karin Schramm by NLB, Jenny Blackford, Siemens Financial Services, Torsten Heidemann, Berenberg, uh, Apichka Patel, um, Pins and Masons, Cecil Luciano, Nord LB, David Menendez, FRV, Dulce Mendonza, Infrared, Caroline Clapham, Evershed Sutherland, Francesco Cacciabue, Glenmont, Catherine Picci, Equina, Verena, Rath Geber, and Infracapital, Bianca Ziccarelli, CPPIB, Liv Miller, Statcraft, Kauta, Ziyat, Reef, Private Investment, and Camilla, Asher Clark, uh, Badges, Salmon. Uh, so yeah, thanks to, to all of them for taking the time and sitting down with us and contributing to a very lively um, discussion that brought us to, uh, to selecting the winners for the company awards. One other thing that is worth mentioning for, for these awards is that the judging period is uh, slightly dif- slightly different maybe compared to other peers um, in the industry. So we look at the financial year rather than the calendar year. So we go from April 2022 through to the end of March 2023 and the award ceremony will be held at Nobu Hotel on the 16th of November. So as I said at the beginning, Jenna, you won Inspiratia's Remember the Name Award last year. This year, by the way, uh, the name has changed slightly. It's going to be the Rising Star Award uh, given to uh, an individual within the industry who's made a particular large impact on it. Since then, you've moved from uh, Lime Jump to your new position at Gridcog. Why don't you give us an update? How's the last year been for you? Yeah, thanks, Oliver. And um, yeah, as I said, lovely to see you guys again. Um, yes, yeah, so there's been a few changes in the last year. Um, I previously was head of commercial at Lime Jump, leading a fabulous team of business development managers, account managers, and commercial analysts, um, where we did some really cool stuff in the renewable and battery storage space in the UK. Uh, and then earlier this year, I moved on from Lime Jump uh, and came across an awesome startup um, that I really liked the sound of, uh, which is Gridcog. 
So Greg Cog were founded in Australia about three years ago um, and are deliberately expanding into the UK and Europe. Uh, so my new role is leading their business uh, and growing the team out here in the UK and Europe and bringing the Greg Cog product um, to market out here, which is super exciting. Thanks for that. And can you maybe help us by giving the audience a brief outline of, um, of Greg Cog and what you now do in your role as director for the UK and Europe market? Um, and what are your immediate priorities in those markets? Yeah, awesome. No, thanks, Viola. Um, I'll start that with the first part of the question as to what are GridCog uh, and what are we up to out here. Um, so GridCog is a, you know, at its core, a software company, um, and we provide simulation for energy projects, and that's both techno and economic simulation. So think of us a little bit like SimCity for energy projects. So I'm a supermarket, uh, and I've got a half-hourly load shape um, that I'm currently selling on a retail tariff on an INC, time of use tariff, as an example. Now I'm looking at ways you know, to improve my energy security uh, and also as part of the energy transition, investing in renewables. Um, so thinking about adding some PV on the roof. I've also got some customers who are electrifying their vehicles, so I want to put down some public charges for them. Um, I've also probably got some last mile delivery trucks and thinking about electrifying that fleet and seeing you know, whether there's vehicle to grid potential in that. And as we all know, um, I'm not sat behind an unlimited grid connection. Um, so you can sort of throw that problem at GridCog and say, how much solar? How many public charges? What schedule am I, is my fleet doing? And what commercial arrangement am I on by virtue of you know all these different combinations of assets? And we help you effectively point and zoom in at, hey, what's the most optimal arrangement? And the reason why, you know, I certainly felt when I came across GridCog um, that it was a really neat problem they were solving was because when you've got these multi-asset, multi-site, different commercial contracts for energy projects, they frankly become too big and too complicated to model in Excel or, or a Python model. Um, and so I thought the technology was amazing. It's you know very powerful. Um, and at the end of the day, you know my motive is to have more investment in the renewable tra- energy transition. Um, and a key part of this, and this will speak to a lot of your listeners as well, is making those projects more bankable. Um, and so I think yeah, that's what attracted me to GridCog. Uh, that's why I'm here. And then our priorities in the UK and Europe is bringing this product to the market. So we've currently got a lot of customers, you know, our home country is Australia. Um, but we have had customers in the UK now for, you know, over 12 months. Um, and then since sort of really deliberately growing into this market, we're, we're picking up pretty quick. Um, so we're really trying to bring the product to the market and effectively drive investment in the renewable energy transition as much as we can. Wow, there's certainly a lot of uh, ambition that you've got in that uh, uh, plan there. And you've touched on a lot of points which our listeners will be familiar with. So on this podcast, over the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about uh, grid connections in the UK. Uh, A lot of the uh, stories that have been coming out about changes at the government level, at the regulator level, to try and make that transition uh, easier and allow projects and consumers to connect to the grid uh, and increase their connection size. Uh, is this an issue that's on the mind of you and your clients in, uh, as you're looking towards the UK? Yes. I mean, it certainly is. I think all of us know there's been um, so much literature and for good reason out there about uh, the challenges with grid connections, particularly for renewable or storage projects in the UK. Um, something that's you know interesting, we're seeing clients come to GridCog to help solve are things like grid connections that come in with active network management, um, and, you know, using GridCog, they can run a whole bunch of different scenarios and say, well, what if this is really used 10% of the time or what if it's only 1% of the 
time? How does that impact revenues on my project? Um, but what's also interesting or something I've really enjoyed since joining GrewCog is actually getting exposure to projects, you know, both in the UK, but also further afield. Um, so, you know, constrained group connections isn't just a UK problem. Um, I think it's a, it's a global one. Um, we've had a lot of interest from clients in the Netherlands. Um, they've got mega constrained um, grids with you know super high PV penetration there as well. Um, and then Australia is very interesting. Um, they're moving to what much more of like what you call almost a dynamic operating envelope model, where at times it's almost price signals and emergency curtailment on grid connections. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a whole load of different ways to solve the the problem. Um, of course, I think everyone would like things to free up and move much quicker um, overall but I think it's neat to see that the innovative strategies being deployed by you know clients and network operators both in the UK and further afield. Yeah thanks it it all makes perfect sense and I think another uh, emerging trend in relation to grid connection electricity and energy storage um, is definitely Collocation. Um, so collocation and operating multiple assets together is increasingly seen uh, as a beneficial strategy. And I know you've been doing quite a lot um, of work with uh, behind the meter assets, for instance. Um, how do these techniques help manage the complexities of um, assets across a whole portfolio? Yeah, thank you. I mean, behind the meter is a space and collocation that I, I guess throughout my career have been moving closer and closer towards. Um, and certainly, yeah, since joining Greg Cog, that's, you know, th- a lot of our clients are running, you know, multi-asset co-located sites. And that could be, you know, a solar storage co-located together or, you know, back to my supermarket example, load shape with investment and a whole load of different distributed energy resources on site. Um, co-location is super interesting and I think incredibly powerful for the biggest reason that you have a natural hedge. A key feature of the renewable energy transition is going to be price cannibalization. You know, we saw a bit of that actually over summer in the UK with, you know, quite sustained negative prices back in, I think it was July. Um, That's a feature of, you know, markets with high renewable penetration globally. And if you've got, you know, your solar farm co-located with a battery, you've got a hedge to that. Um, Is it a complete hedge? Absolutely not. But it's it's the first step, right? So you can charge your battery off your solar instead of paying to generate your solar and same if you've got load as well you've got you've got a hedge but you're also closer to you know the end source of that generation so you avoid the likes of as many sort of transmission or distribution system losses as well Um, and something that's fascinating on that again speaking to random interesting insights I've found from global markets since joining GridCog is Australia obviously they're well ahead of the curve on um PV deployment, you know, partly because it is, you know, it's a grey day here in London uh, today, but it's typically sunnier there as well. Um, And so they've got about, I think it's about 30% of homes in Australia have um, PV on the roof. And what they're finding is actually some of the front of metre solar systems, you know, large scale ones that were deployed, you know, years ago, are starting to become, in a sense, distressed assets because the rooftop solar is is going to beat them day in day out it's closer to load they've got a degree of locational pricing in Australia as well and so that's you know a very interesting thing to think about I think for us in the UK as well we're I think earlier on that co-location journey but the interest in co-located projects has you know increased dramatically I'd say in the last sort of three years or so. Mm, Interesting uh, you picked up on locational pricing there that's just one of the many uh complications that you have to deal with in these different markets and uh particularly i think the importance of uh ancillary and auxiliary services is also been uh increasing 
Uh, in fact, just, la- just last week, we uh, had a piece of research out where we looked at the dynamic containment market in the UK and how revenues are uh, being squeezed in that market as well. So it seems like th- this market is kind of continuously evolving and changing uh, with the sort of regulatory frameworks that come around that. How do you navigate that? Yeah, really good point. And I think, you know, the evolving regulatory and also market frameworks will just be a feature of the energy transition. You know, if your national grid you need to maintain security of supply. You need to keep frequency at 50 hertz. As your asset base changes, you're going to have to deploy new products to help you know, support the frequency and support the system, which is where we saw you know, dynamic containment, moderation and regulation come out over the last few years here. Also, you see um, the demand flex service, which last winter obviously was at the more residential level, um, responding to periods where the grid was quite constrained and consumers turning down. It looks like that's going to evolve into the sort of INC space this year. Then you've got DNOs with you know their own sort of localized flexibility markets as well. You know, overall, you know, my personal view is that you know having these multiple markets and multiple price signals is a benefit for. You know, both the end consumer and the energy transition, we want to involve as many people as we can in that and assets who are capable of delivering flexibility services, particularly if they can do so cheaper than or better than the current generation mix, you know, totally should be welcomed into that space. Obviously, that makes it particularly confusing at times when you're looking at investing in these assets or trying to work out, you know, is this a good idea or is this not? Um, and again, that's something that I think is I found interesting is you know, even seeing clients sort of almost build up a, a hypothetical market in GridCog, which you can totally do and say, well, what if in five years there's some 500 pounds trigger capacity style market going on in London? Um, and you can build that. And it's kind of interesting to see as well how assets may respond to that. So it, it's a space I think is is cool. It's going to keep changing. Um, again, you know, there's talks about inertia markets in the UK. Australia's just released a kind of version of dynamic containment. They call it very fast frequency response. So similar. Um, it's, a, it's a global thing. As we see more renewables on the system, they're harder to predict. And so it's neat to see innovation in that space, you know, both from an asset in, in technology basis in terms of, you know, the physics of the assets, but also the market side as well. Moving on to a, a bit of a different sector, I think we, we wanted to get your views on electric vehicles. Um, so they are becoming more prevalent and, and EV fleet management is, is gaining attention. And how does Gridcog navigate the challenges and opportunities in this sector? Yeah, thanks for the question. So electric vehicles and vehicle to grid is something that I've become super excited about, particularly in the last year. I caught up with uh, someone the other day for a wine and they were like, I never picked you to be the person that was telling me about, talking to me about trucks for 15 minutes. (laughs) Um, But there you go. I think electric vehicles and vehicle to grid, particularly on fleets, is going to be huge. Um, So we saw that in, you know, National Grid's future energy scenarios. I think one of the scenarios leading the way had about 20 gigs of flex coming from uh, vehicle to grid by 2035. That's not that far off um and what's so awesome i think about the electric vehicles particularly fleets for vehicle to grid is that people have bought a truck to be a truck its job is to deliver groceries that's why they've bought this item this asset however it's probably not out on route every single day of the year you know particularly school buses and rubbish trucks are great examples of fleets that could be electrified and provide grid balancing or 
or vehicle to grid style services, um, they're parked up at the depot quite a lot of the time. And they've bought a truck, but they've also got an energy storage asset. They've got a battery. Um, and some of these trucks have, you know, 500 kilowatt hour batteries in them. Like they're not small. So if you've got, you know, 20, 30 of those, you know, you do have in effect quite a large front of meter battery. Um, and I think the space is going to be massive. Um, you know, we're not there yet. I think that there's, you know, further to go. Um, but something certainly there's, you know, hugely exciting for this space that was, you came out earlier this week, I think, was the P415 um, code modification, which effectively allows virtual lead parties to participate in wholesale markets. So I think that space for optimizing more distributed aggregated assets is going to get more exciting. That comes into effect later next year. So it's still a way to go on it. Um, but we have clients in grid code modeling some, you know, super exciting things where you've got maybe a fleet of trucks that if you were smart charging them, obviously that's a cost for your fuel. But if you enable vehicle to grid, um, depending on the price curves and depending on the you know availability of those vehicles, they can actually start contributing to the bottom line. So rather than being a fuel cost, they start actually adding P&L. And that is... That's crazy, but like so exciting. It's a space I'm really excited about and I think is going to be super cool. It's easy to often place vehicle to grid and fleet electrification in the, oh, that will happen in the future bucket. But certainly we're seeing people model some pretty big fleets out here in Europe already. And I'd say that's going to come a bit quicker than, or it's going to come quicker certainly than, let's say, what I thought about a year ago. That's really interesting, actually. And I, 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 I would be interested to look at National Grid's uh, projections around flex and if they've had to revise them in the last few weeks because as we've reported on this podcast last week about the uh, changing goals for EV rollout in the UK, these kind of policy changes may be having an impact on the grid stability in 20 years' time, which just goes to show how interconnected all of these different parts of the energy transition space are, really. Yeah, I think it, it is certainly very interesting. I'd say one thing is, you know, Having a clear policy direction, you know, from government is critical. Don't get me wrong, but I do think this revolution is happening anyway. And so how much that will change it, you know, remains to be seen. Um, but I'm certainly super encouraged by seeing people, you know, people are modelling these projects, they're investing in these assets. Um, so I do think we'll continue to see investment in fleets and electrification. Okay, so we've covered a lot of different aspects of uh, energy storage and grid connection markets, all relating to the operations of GridCog. Uh, and I think that the way that software is playing a part in this market is really coming to the fore in these energy storage-related assets uh, in a way that I think hasn't really been quite as prevalent in the past with more basic revenue models for uh, energy assets. So what do you see as the role of software and how that will evolve in the future for the energy sector? Yeah, very good question. And I think, you know, part of that speaks to the pace and the investment coming into the energy transition that, you know, energy markets for, you know, a long time were quite stable. Um, We were, you know, running quite, you know, various assets of various degrees of complexity. Um, But the changes in the last sort of 10, 15 years and acutely in, let's say, the last five have really started to shift the goalposts for energy assets and for modelling projects and for dispatching projects. Um, and, you know, part of that speaks to even what LimeJump were up to with, you know, leveraging technology to dispatch batteries into wholesale markets and frequency markets and so on. 
Um, I don't think that's going to go away with the pace of investment. You know, there's trillions of dollars being invested in the energy transition. Like this is huge. Um, people do need to leverage, you know, software and technology to one dispatch the assets and even control them all. Um, you can't hire a trading team of thousands to dispatch, you know, vehicle to grid fleets across the UK um, that just wouldn't be economic um, but also to model and simulate those that number of inputs just become too big um, for you know one analyst or someone using an Excel model uh, to handle so the role of software is huge just by virtue of the complexity of the projects um, and also to make them understandable I think a key thing is you know, energy markets, even 10 years ago, you know, had a limited, call it a limited gene pool. There weren't too many people working in energy. We're growing so quickly in this space to attract the right talent and to drive investment into these projects at the pace that it needs to happen. Um, software can absolutely help that transition happen. Hey, not everyone needs to be an electrical engineer to work in energy. Um and that's that's super important. So we have clients, for instance, in Gricog, uh, running incredibly complex projects. You can configure all of the different battery settings until your heart's content. Um, but you also have people just using you know defaults, which is completely fine, um, to run simple projects and and build build out their business case. And and that's important. It's a it's a fine line to walk in the a software space is trying to make a product as complicated as it needs to be for the the complex user, but also accessible um, and I think software goes a long way to improve the accessibility of projects compared to the tool sets of the past. Thanks Jenna I think um, we've covered quite a lot of ground here you've been very generous with your time uh, so maybe maybe to wrap up with the, with the questions I um, I was wondering whether you could talk us through the projects announcements and collaborations that we can expect to hear from from Greek Cog in, in the coming months um, any new client segments that you're targeting in particular maybe kind of cover a little bit who your clients are at the moment um, I think that would be helpful uh, for our for our listeners yeah totally um, so in terms of new projects and announcements um, to, that you'll expect to hear from Greg Cog is certainly uh, continued growth in the UK in Europe um, if you jump on our LinkedIn page, there's a bunch of logos from customers that we can talk about um, in the open um, that we're working with. But we, what's cool and what's sort of unusual, I would say, almost about Gridcog and who we work with is that we have clients across the entire energy spectrum. And that speaks to you know the energy transition. We've got new new entrants um, coming into this market whose main business maybe wasn't energy historically, and then we've got sort of incumbent clients as well. So we work with uh, consultants. Um, again, jump on the website or LinkedIn, you'll see all the logo boards. We work with consultants. We work with B two B suppliers. Um, we work with project developers, um, and we work you know large energy users as well, um, and also network companies. So it is we've got a lot of clients and. That's cool to see them modeling, you know, quite different, but at the end of the day, almost similar um, projects and, and stuff in the software. Um, other announcements, or if I can spoof something, is that we are growing in the UK. So um, also check out the careers page on Gridcog. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're looking to looking to grow the team um, as we, yeah, we have got a lot of momentum out here. Um, and yeah, UK is our focus market, but also to an extent, uh, Europe as well. So we've got some customers, as I mentioned, running some super interesting projects in the Netherlands um, and also Spain and France at the moment and certainly looking to grow out into those regions as well. 
Thank you, Jenna. And we will link to those socials uh, in the show notes of this episode. Uh, thank you. Thank you once again, Jenna, for coming on this episode. Uh, I know we've covered quite a lot of ground there. Um, a lot of the topics that we covered in that discussion will be brought up at our Energy Storage Summit, which uh, you can go back and listen to our upcoming events episode if you want to learn more about that. That's on the 18th of October. And the award ceremony will be on the 16th of November in the Nobu Hotel in London. So we're all looking forward to that. The ceremony should be great fun and you can find all the information uh, to attend any of those and any of our other events on the Inspiration website. The links will be below. We will be back next week with our usual news and analysis uh, roundups and I hope you've been enjoying our webinar coverage over the last few weeks. We've had, a very, we've had an increased number and there will be more webinars coming out on the Inspiration website. Uh, keep an eye on your inboxes on Monday for the next one. I'd like to once again thank Viola for coming on and telling us all about the awards. Thank you very much, Oliver. And thank you, Jenna, for being so, in, uh, so generous with your time and taking us through a very complicated topic. No worries. Thanks, guys. It's been fun. It certainly has. Best of luck. Uh, that is it for the episode. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.